Hello, and welcome to the Big Fish Adventures in Tech podcast. I am your host, Sager Fisher, and today I am really excited to welcome Ashley Ladd, who currently serves as the head of diversity, inclusion, and social impact at Sneak. Her exceptional work in fostering a diverse and inclusive tech workplace led Sneak to the prestigious Timmy Award for Best Tech Workplace for Diversity in May of 2022. Prior to her tenure, however, Ashley held the position of Manager of Diversity and Inclusion at HubSpot, where she made significant contributions to promoting inclusivity within the organization. Notably, Ashley is an alumni of St. Lawrence University, where she demonstrated that a degree in communications can pave the way for a successful career in the tech industry. Through her various leadership roles and dedication to creating inclusive environments, she has become a role model for aspiring professionals seeking to make a difference in the world of tech. And I'm really excited to have her on the show today. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. It took a couple of tries for us to actually uh, get this on the calendar because like most people that work in our industry, you're an exceptionally busy person. So first and foremost, really appreciate you carving out some time uh, to speak with me today. So thanks for for joining the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to, to chat with you. Now, before we dive in and talk Tech Talk, we have to let the audience know that you and I both went to St. Lawrence University, which is just one of, has such a special place in my heart. And I know obviously it does for you as well. You were actually just up there. So can you tell us a little bit about that trip and what you were doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I just completed um, four years on the board of trustees uh, as a McCurdy Spriggs trustee. Um, And I don't think a lot of other universities do this, but um, they have a, a program where they elect uh, four, there's always four at a time, um, McCurdy Spriggs trustees to bring in a young voice to uh, to the board of trustees, which is such a wonderful opportunity for us. Um, you could be anywhere from two years out to 10 years out. Um, and I had the opportunity to join in 2019. Um, and so I was up there last weekend, Thursday through Sunday, uh, doing board meetings and um, attending commencement festivities. So it was just an absolute dream come true, um, an incredible four years, even though we did everything you know, a lot of it through the pandemic, through, you know, this online virtual forum. Um, But we got to elect the 19th president of St. Lawrence University, uh, Catherine Morris, which was just the most incredible opportunity. And she is just leading the organization and institution into an incredibly new place. And it's just amazing to go up to Canton, New York and just spend the time uh, seeing people and reconnecting. And I'll actually be be back up there in two weeks for my 10-year reunion. Oh my gosh, that is not a short trip. No, I'm just keeping the good times rolling. (laughs) I don't blame you. Now, this seems to be a common thread in your life where folks have recognized that you have this really powerful voice, whether it's in your current role at Sneak, which we'll get into in a couple of minutes, um, or, you know, your alma mater. So where do you think that stems from? Is that kind of, have you always been, you know, identified as someone who is, you know, has a voice to share or where do you get that? you know, kind of just motivation and, and str- strength to, to be that voice and be seen as that person? Yeah, I love this question. I really, truly believe that if like a lot of what I do is experience-based, right? Like the inclusion, belonging, social impact piece, there's a lot of that experience built into it. And for me, when I left St. Lawrence, I knew what an incredible market left on my life. Um, And so for me, it was always about giving back. It was always about giving back to that place that gave me so much. Um, And I think I feel the same way in my work. And something that I've always strived to do is to really make sure that I'm not the only or the last person that's being seen in a position like this. And so if I'm able to 
to put my voice forward or, or share my ideas or volunteer my time, um, it's so important for me to do so, so that I can leave an impact on the place that left an impact on me. Um, and I strive to do that in the companies that I work for, in the work that I do, but also, you know, with my alma mater, like St. Lawrence, I do the same thing for my boarding school. And I just, I really try to give back to these places that have left these big impacts in my life. Yeah. And now, do you think you mentioned boarding school? Do you think were there early signs of this kind of being your career path from a young age? Or is it something that you felt drawn more towards when you were, you know, in college? Or when did that start for you? Yeah, it took me a little while. I always like to say I was in diversity and inclusion work before I was in diversity and inclusion work. I, I really loved people and I loved interactions and storytelling. And so it took me a little longer until after I graduated to really understand like, where that could take me. I think traditional HR wasn't really as progressive as it is today with culture teams and, you know, all these different types of people analytics roles. And so it, w- it took me a little while to really grow into and really find my niche. Um, right. But I took that that dive. I really, I started my career in e-commerce retail, which shout out to a liberal arts education. I had no background in merchandising whatsoever and got to work for Wayfair um, for almost four years. And it was such a cool opportunity for me. But I, what I loved the most about those opportunities was really me like leaning in and chatting with my vendors, understanding how we could solve problems, understanding how I could help them grow their businesses. And that was really where I found that love for, for people and helping people. And that's what I wanted to bring into my next career. So I was able to have this opportunity to join HubSpot and kind of restart my career. I had to kind of take a step back to take a step forward and better understand, you know, I'm moving into a totally new industry and something that I've never officially done before. Um, and I'm so, so glad I took the leap and took the, took the risk to do it because it's led me on this, on this career journey that I just love. Yeah, I'm nodding my head because that's the exact same thing I did a little later in life. I think I was, as I mentioned before on this podcast, like 29, which is why I wanted to bring you on the show because up until this point, we've really had, you know, really technical, you know, security analysts or kind of that have taken the more technical route. And I think it's important to shed the light on the fact that there are many different avenues that you can go in this industry. It doesn't have to be, say, like, you know, the the technical route. Um and so you were a communications major at St. Lawrence, right? So <laughs> yep. there, I mean, it's, you couldn't kind of be further, like, you know, if you looked back at the trajectory of like where life would lead you, there's probably the last place. And certainly for me, I was a communications and film major. So very, very um, transversible skills to what I'm doing today. Um, so how, you know, you had to take a step back. What did you do to bridge that knowledge gap and kind of make sure that you could get caught up to speed and quickly bridge that gap? Yeah, I think, um, like I said before, like the transferable skills, and like you mentioned, is just um, invaluable. And so for me, it was really about being able to be adaptable, to have that growth mindset, to continue to learn and develop outside of just my role, um, and to build the connections. I think St. Lawrence has always taught us, right? Like connections can lead you into these incredible places and spaces. And so for me, it was always like, okay, if I'm doing this role today, where are other people across the organization that I should know or meet or, you know, lend my expertise to? Because there's always something that people that you have that other people might want to learn from. And I think sometimes in, when you're young in your career, you don't feel like that's always the case. Um, but I've always been encouraged to, to use my voice in that way and to say like, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? And so for me, it was always, okay, I'm in merchandising, but if I want to be in people, then maybe I talk to the head of people, or maybe I, I talk about, you know, I learn a little bit more about what traditional HR looks like. Um, or maybe I join a networking group that helps me do that outside of work. And so I think it was all about 
um, being really strategic with my time and the management of my time, but also being able to to infuse some of the things that really brought me joy into um, my day to day. And I think that's what's really helped me kind of like set that precedent as I move through my career is that I know I don't have all the answers um, and I'm going to find the people that can help and support me and continue to grow in this space. And um, I think it's just part of what um, has kind of been instilled in me in a really young age. 100%. And I think that's such an underutilized uh, skill is just knowing when you need to tap out and knowing who to go to. I think that's like half the battle in my mind. And it took me a long time to actually get to that point where I felt comfortable saying, yep, I don't know the answer to this, but I know who to go to. And it's, you know, completely going with it and approaching it with some humility. I think that's something that just comes with, you know, age and experience in the working world. But if I can impart any wisdom on my younger 20 self, it would be that is, you know, not afraid to, to raise your hand and, um, bring other people into the fold when you feel like you're, you know, over your skis, as they say. Uh, so starting with, let's go back to like how you got into working at HubSpot, um, very well-known company, headquarters in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? Yes. So how did you start your work there and what was your role? Yeah, so I started out as a program manager um, on the culture team, uh, heading up our uh, women's leadership programming. So the employee resource group, um, women at HubSpot, really helping to, to grow and build programs to help foster inclusion, diversity, uh, and belonging specifically for our women at HubSpot. So it was such a cool opportunity. I got to create programs specifically for our director plus population. I got to help bring in speakers, got to help um, like bring together celebrations for International Women's Day, um, create initiatives like Women Who Lead, which is really all about helping marginalized communities come together, specifically black and brown women, to have conversations and network and get to know each other. Um, the joys of pre-pandemic life, getting you know 300 black and brown women together in a space to talk about tech and careers and mobility was just such an awesome opportunity. So um, that company has just left an indelible mark on my life in terms of just making sure that I have the space to, to be creative and build these programs kind of from the ground up. Yeah. And it's such, it's obviously speaks volumes about the company itself that they would invest in that kind of department. Cause let's face it, like not a lot of companies do that. And I, or think they're realizing it now, right? Or they're realizing, yes. And especially now, especially with folks that are in, you know, working remote, it's, I think it's so important to make sure you're trying to bring as many people, you know, under your umbrella and make sure that they feel comfortable. And cause you spend, eight hours at a minimum of your day, every day, five days a week in the workforce and to not feel like you're a part of something or you belong is, is incredibly sad to me. So I think that's, you know, the work that you're doing is so important for those people that um, are feeling a little lost and want a place to go, you know, so I think that speaks volumes to HubSpot uh, and Sneak that they've invested in, in that kind of role. Um, is there any project in particular at HubSpot that stands out to you as something that was the most impactful for you personally to, to work on? Yeah, I think honestly, creating the Women Who Lead series was such an incredible opportunity and one that um, I really loved doing in partnership with um, the Chief People Officer, Katie Burke, and my friend, uh, Melissa Obleata, who I get to see in a couple of days, which I'm really excited just staying close to, to, my, to my friends there. Um, but honestly, it's was such a great opportunity. We, we decided to start the series specifically because we had read the McKinsey and Women in the Workplace report for that year. And it just looked abysmal for, and it frankly still does, unfortunately, it's a little bit better than, than it was in the past, but they were reporting out around um, black and brown women making it to the C-suite. And as you can imagine, the number just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as you got 
further up the ladder. And um, we were having a conversation about it on Slack and everyone was like, this is terrible. Like, what can we do about it? How do we, how do we change this? How do we like leave a mark here? Um, and so what we decided to do was build this, what we called a series at the time, an event series that allowed us to bring in thought leaders from around Boston in person to have conversations about how they grew their career. And we had different panels, whether it was on um, entrepreneurship and folks like learning and starting their own businesses based on the things that they were passionate about, to more specifically, you know, women in leadership at the C-suite level saying, hey, here's how I made it or sharing that knowledge and trickling it down and then giving people the opportunity to meet other people. And, you know, we created these small moments that were really special too, whether it was like little networking cards or using black owned businesses or, you know, women owned businesses specifically for the food that we were bringing in or, you know, the photography we were using for that night. So really trying to make it feel like an all inclusive, immersive experience that kind of, you know, really shone a light on some of the things that were, were challenging and not only in tech, but, you know, specifically in tech. I can only imagine how impactful that would be for folks because honestly, like I, when I was first starting out, I didn't even realize really that this was like an option for me. Like I didn't, you know, just as a female, never mind like, you know, being, you know, or black or brown or, or, you know, further marginalized communities. Like I, so I can't even begin to imagine, but I didn't even realize, you know, cause there was nobody there weren't a lot of women, if any, that were having those conversations. So to be able to show up at a university and say, hey, this is how I did this and touch that one person and, and make it available and make it feel accessible to them is hugely impactful. Like I'm lucky that I had a lot of great uh, male mentors along the way that kind of helped me into this journey. But I can only think that I would have found it sooner if I had realized that it was something that was even an option. Absolutely. And like opening the doors and just saying like, come see what it's all about, right? Like, come join us, come have the conversation. And we we really encouraged allies to come as well. We made it very intentional. And we wanted to create that space that was safe for folks to have those conversations. But at the same time, we wanted allies to sit there and learn too, and better understand how they could be mentors or sponsors to ensure that there was not an echo chamber, right? That there were actually people out there that held a lot of the power that could also help in these like really challenging, difficult situations. Yeah. So when you started at HubSpot, like when you woke up in the morning, were you pretty much just responsible for creating your own like itinerary for the day? Or was there already this built in program that you came into and kind of perfected? Or what did that look like? Yeah, so every day was different, which I really loved. Um, It was we started as a small and mighty team of three. And by the end of my time there, I think we across the diversity and inclusion team, we were like, maybe eight or nine, maybe 10 folks. And so, and that was globally. So it was just a really awesome, and that's not including the culture team, which was another, you know, 15 folks. So um, it was really amazing to wake up every day and be like, all right, here's what I have to do, or here are the things that I need to dig into. Um, and for me, it was really all about, like, even when I first got there, I had a manager and I was like, I see that there's a mission for women at HubSpot, but like, do you know who created this mission? Or like, am I able to change it? And she was like, yeah, it's your program now. And that's what I loved about it, right? It was like, it was a little scary because I was like, I get to, you know, rewrite and really launch a lot of these programs and things out into the world that really have impacts on people's lives. But at the same time, I get to like, it really gave me the space to be creative and strategic about what I wanted to bring to the table and like really bring in perspectives that kind of ensured that everybody had a voice. Now, did you know that you wanted to take on a role like this specifically in the tech industry or were you open to like other industries and areas or was it what made you kind of gravitate towards HubSpot in particular? 
yeah, I really saw the challenges in tech. Um, and I think that that's where I saw the most growth opportunity. It moved quickly. You know, education moves pretty slow. <laughs> There's a lot of different hurdles and things and institutionalized things that really don't allow us to move as quickly as we'd like. So um, I think when I thought about funding, when I thought about, you know, who could really back programs like this, and then where could I leave a mark and an impact that really needed it most? Like, there's tons of nonprofits that are doing this work incredibly well, but I wanted to infiltrate a space that really was going to be a really big challenge. Like, it wasn't going to be people all sitting around being like, this is the thing we need to do, right? Like, yeah. I needed to change minds and I needed to, to, and I loved that challenge and I still do. And I think it's, it's something that is needed. And if there's organizations that, like you said, are going to carve out the space to do that and the budget to do that, um, I want to be one of those people that helps to, to make that change. So what is it, and this is such a loaded question, and I'm sure we could go down so many different avenues with this, but like in your mind, what are some of the overarching issues that make diversity such a huge problem in our industry? Yeah, I think the biggest one and the one that I've seen more now I think over the last five years is that we're so heavily focused on recruiting. Um, It's a recruit diverse talent. It's a recruit marginalized communities. It's a recruit, but nobody and some companies are, and the companies that I've worked for definitely are, but it's, it's not just about recruiting and getting diverse talent in the door. And it's not just about, you know, that diversity of, you know, race, background, socioeconomic status, education, like, There's so much more that needs to be done to support these people when they come to the, to work at a company. Um, it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, if it was, it wouldn't be two, three, four times harder to recruit them and two, three, four times more expensive to get them to your organization. Um, if there wasn't going to be additional resources needed to ensure that they could be successful there. Um, and so I think that's been one of the biggest overarching issues is that people want to just recruit, recruit, recruit and sell, sell, sell how great their company is and how diverse their company is. And then folks get there and they spend six months to a year and they're like, this isn't the organization I thought it was. You promised me these things or you told me company was XYZ and it's not. And I think more people are starting to realize that earlier on in the process. And I think if you don't have an inclusive interview process, a lot of, uh, a lot of people you're trying to recruit just aren't going to make it any further. They're going to say, this isn't for me. Um, but I do think there's much more that needs to be done around the programs and the systematic change in order to ensure that you're growing talent there. It's not a matter of just the numbers of bringing people in, but it, it's the retention. So where do you think that training starts? Because I imagine there's, you know, it starts with the recruiter going out and, you know, reaching out to folks on LinkedIn and, and you know, doing um, a significant amount of research on people. But I can't imagine that they're all having the same kind of training that you're providing. So where does that begin at a company? Like, is that something that you're tasked with doing is working with the recruiters and the hiring committees and and whatnot to make sure that they're prepared to, you know, see it through to the end and make sure those everyone has the resources that they need to be successful. Yeah. I think that our talent attraction team at sneak is incredible and they work so hard on like inclusive language and ensuring that there is accessibility for anybody that needs it, especially in this new digital age when you're interviewing, right? Um, Is it extra time? Is it closed captioning? Is it, things that we don't always think about, um, especially as like able-bodied individuals, like there are things in, um, that are not just seen, but they're unseen that we need to make sure that we can provide accessibility and accommodations for. Um, and so our team is consistently trying to think through those things. We're also trying to think about how we 
ensure there's a diverse candidate, then a diverse interview slate every time we're hiring, regardless of who that person is, right? We want to make sure we're bringing all types of perspectives from sneak to the table to better understand if this person might be a great addition for our team. Um, and so there's a lot of work being done and a lot of iterative work that's helping hiring managers understand what their biases might be before they get into the interview process and those sorts of things that start there. But then once you're at Sneak, it's all about that experience from day one and really saying, here's who we are as an organization. Here's what we care about. Our values are so deeply ingrained in everything that we do at Sneak. And so part of that is diversity, inclusion, and social impact. And so letting them know we have sneak resource groups and and making sure that people can find a place where they belong, even if they feel like they might be the only on their team. Um, and so it's really more about ensuring that they have safe spaces to have conversations and meet other sneakers that are just like them. Um, and then being able to foster that inclusion and belonging on their teams as well. Yeah. So let's dive into what you're doing now at Sneak. So first and foremost, can you just give the people listening just, you know, a high level, you know, two or three sentences on who Sneak, what you guys do, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so Sneak is a developer security platform. So we help um, developers fix and uh, find vulnerabilities in code before they ship product. Um, so obviously, uh, our, our mission is uh, to develop fast and stay secure. And so for us, that's all about making sure that um, the world that we live in is a safer place and a digitally safer place. And for us at Sneak, that really starts with ensuring that we have a representative global workforce that is really representative of all of us and not just some of us. Um, we're seeing it more and more every day. Like this, this industry is changing rapidly. Um, and so the more that we can do to ensure that we're bringing everybody along and the perspectives and unique experiences of, of how this technology industry is moving and changing, the better off we're going to be down the line. Um, so a little bit, that's a little bit about sneaking kind of what we do. No, that's really helpful. So can you, what are some of the social initiatives that you're working on right now to, you know, as you said, to, to make sure everyone feels, um, you know, it sounds like you guys have a pretty great culture um, that you're obviously largely a part of. So what are some of the initiatives that you're working on right now? Yeah, absolutely. From the social impact side, so we call it Sneak Impact. Um, we have a really great uh, program that helps us um, whether it's volunteering, um, donations, whether it's actual in-person um, events, we try to make sure that every sneaker has an opportunity to give back to their communities and to the communities that they're a part of. So we partner with organizations across the world in a lot of our, our main hubs. So whether that be Boston, London, or Tel Aviv, um, to really help foster that sense of, of do good, that sense of what we call care deeply uh, at Sneak. And so for us, that is really like volunteering your time your your knowledge, your skills. And so actually, we last week, we hosted um, a learner session with an organization called uh, Zero One Founders. Um, and they are specifically like a coding and skills-based bootcamp that allows learners to learn the full stack and become a full stack engineer uh, in two, basically in two years. And so we've partnered with that organization to help um, leverage sneak engineers and folks that are, are in the cyberspace to help them learn more about um, what it takes. They do virtual capture the flag initiatives. They find vulnerabilities. They do um, all these really great initiatives throughout the day. And then we have networking events so they can better understand what it's like to work at Sneak and what that looks like from a tech perspective. They get to hear from our leadership. Um, it's just a really great way to bring those learners to our space and have them understand not just the, the industry itself, but what that looks like in in context and in everyday practice. So we partner a ton with organizations globally to do a lot of that work to help 
diversify and hopefully diversify the tech talent pipeline because um, that's a really big initiative of ours there. Yeah, I see you guys um, all over the place, and I see a lot of those capture a flag initiatives. Which um, you know, one of the the guys that I work with, who's one of the smartest security professionals that I know, that's he swears by them. How he started out in the industry and how he really honed his skills. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you guys are trying to remove a lot of the red tape. That quite frankly, there's a ton of this in you know that in this industry, and so that's hugely impactful for folks that are just starting out. So I highly recommend, you know, those that are just graduating college or kind of wanting to, to get in this career path to look at the resources that you guys have available. Um, so to that end, what are some of the barriers or challenges that you personally faced when you were trying to break into this industry? Yeah, I think just not seeing anybody that looked like me doing the work that I was doing. And it was scary at times. I was like, even just, you know, family members or folks, because when I was kind of breaking into not only tech, but diversity and inclusion, people were like, whoa, tech industry, <laughs> like layer on the diversity and inclusion impact lens. And people are like, I have no idea what, what you do. <laughs> um, and so I think there are so, it was so multi-layered that I was like, okay, this feels a little out of my comfort zone. This feels a little risky. Um, but I knew that if I just continue to follow like the passion that I had about people and storytelling and experiences, like that would lead me in the direction that I needed to go. Um, and it has not failed me since luckily, but I do think it is intimidating, right? Like you're, you're meeting people and you're, you're, there's so much, there's so much there that can be a barrier, right? You can think about the differences in background or the differences in age or the differences in experience. Um, Cause I'm by no means like a security expert or a cybersecurity expert, um, but I've been in the tech industry for a while and I'm a quick learner and I, I really better under try to understand the industry that I'm getting into and how that ties back ultimately to my mission um, and how that ties back to how, how we work and what that means. And I've yet to find a use case where, you know, diversity and inclusion, like, isn't the thing that's going to help propel a company forward. And so I think it's so important to find that in whatever uh, industry that you're in, but also whatever company you, you decide to work for. And so for me, I've really found myself um, really leaning into the companies that are already doing this work, maybe need a little bit more help organizing it and structuring it and better understanding how we how we measure outcomes. But that's always been where I've where I've started is like, these companies have deep core values that really resonate with a lot of the inclusion and impact opportunities that I care so deeply about. So I think that's really where um, it makes this like beautiful synergy. Yeah. And I think you, you know, you really brought up a great point about just passion. And I think that's a common thread that I see across all the conversations that I've been having is that if you're really passionate about something, it really, I don't want to say it like makes up for what you lack in any technical skills or, but it makes it all worth it. I think, you know, like, you don't just go home at five and say, all right, I'm done for the day. Because if you have, you know, that passion for what you're doing, you're like, all right, I'm going to open up the books for a little bit longer and study a little bit longer and make myself just a little bit better today. And I think it pays huge dividends in the end and in the long term. Um, so I definitely see that as a common, you know, as a common thread. What do you love most about working in the cybersecurity industry? Yeah, I mean, it is so fascinating, the changes. And I think what I love about Sneak so much is that they're so transparent with the information that's coming down. So AI, obviously, is the, the hot topic. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking through like what that means from like a chat GPT perspective, and we have all these really great Slack channels where, you know, our leaders are, are having these conversations. So it's not just these closed door conversations. Like we have a company update 
um, this week. And so that's really an opportunity for our leadership to say, here's where the industry is and here's where it's, how Sneak is thinking about it. And it moves that quickly, right? So I love the, the transparency and the flow of information from our leadership teams all the way down um, and really being able to take that and say, okay, what does this mean for, for me at Sneak? What does this mean about my role? How do I ensure that I leverage whatever we're doing to make sure that it ties, whatever I'm doing ties back to our goals and objectives here? So would you say that that transparency from your founders has a huge impact on your culture overall? Absolutely. And the way that they care about um, diversity, inclusion, and social impact is is been so apparent from day one um, that I think there's there's so much of that that's just so deeply embedded in how we work um, that it, it really does shine through, not just from the top of our leadership, but all the way down. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the enormity of it all? Like, cause this, this is, no, yeah, I'm like, Every day. <laughs> thinking of like, this is no small task. Your work is never done. Mm. Not that, that that's not to say that, you know, someone in a different role in tech that, that, you know, every day, every day is different and you're solving a new problem every day, but this is an enormous problem. So how do you go about every day waking up and having that drive you know, and, and this is not to marginalize in any way, shape or form. Like, how do you, do you just take it in small bites and take each day as it come? Or I'm trying to wrap my brain around that because it's so vast, this problem. Absolutely. No, I love that question because it, uh, something we said at HubSpot all the time, something I've brought with me over to sneak is that you can't boil the ocean. Mm. Um, and it's such a great thing when you actually think about it in, in, in theory. Um, and so really taking, an opportunity to think like, what do I have control over today? What are the things that I can impact today? What are the things that I know are going to take longer, right? What are those long-term things that are where we might start today, but there's no way we're going to finish them. There's no way that, you know, things are going to change that drastically, especially in this space in, you know, a year, two years, right? Like what are the things we really got to dig our heels in on? And I know that tech is because of its its fast moving nature and because people are always thinking about how to finish something, right? How to get it over the finish line, how to, you know, put it out there in the world. Like diversity and inclusion just isn't isn't always that. Um, and so there are small, meaningful things that we can do day after day that help build on top of this really important mission. Um, but I think what I try to get across to leaders all the time is that like this is going to take time. Um, but we're planting that seed now. Imagine what we could do if we stay consistent and accountable for the things that we do today to make sure that we're leaving a lasting impact for this company long term. So how are you measuring success? Because as someone who is exceptionally type A like me, I like everything <laughs> wrapped up in a nice little box yep. in a bow and <laughs> delivered at my doorstep. This is done, success, but that's not how this works in our industry. Mm -hmm. So how are you measuring that? Is it, I mean, because I imagine it's really hard to quantify. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and things are changing all the time. And so for us, it's about setting our goals in the beginning of each year or at the end of the year prior to say, you know, what are we going to measure? Um, and I've been at companies where, you know, they're trying to measure everything all at once. And um, for me, when I got to Sneak, I was like, what can we focus on? What can we control? What can we really make a use case for so that then when we start to expand out and get bigger as an organization, we can continue to, to build on those same practices to continue to build out more of these metrics and measurements. So it's for us right now, understanding how we really move the needle on gender balance and how we really move the needle on um, like our, our carbon footprint. So when we're thinking about the way we want to move the needle, right? We're not saying reduce our carbon footprint by 20%. Like 
we know that that is not really attainable in the next year. But how do we take small bite-sized steps and knowing that, you know, we're carbon neutral certified and that we do a greenhouse gas assessment every year and that we look at our, we do a pay equity analysis on the gender side and we make sure that we're looking at total rewards every time that we're bringing in a new person or new offers to the table. So there are things that we do on a day-to-day that in the long run are really going to be important for our organization. They might not produce perfect results when we look at them month over month or quarter over quarter, but we do track those things and we really do try to understand like where we're leaving a mark, where we have room for improvement. And I think sometimes that gets lost. Sometimes people are only focused on, you know, the KPI or the outcome, but it's the the process sometimes as well to say, okay, this is what we measured and this is what we benchmarked two years ago. How do we make sure that, you know, in the next two years, we look at what went well and what didn't and then go back to the drawing board. And sometimes it's a matter of starting over. Sometimes it's a matter of adding to that. Sometimes it's a matter of taking things away. Um, but just knowing that we're, we're building this iterative process and we're not just saying, here are the things we're doing, check the box, keep it moving, I think is really important. You've been there about a year now, right? Yes. Um, you just cel- recently celebrated your year anniversary. Is there, you know, like HubSpot, is there anything project in particular or initiative that stands out that you're the most proud of or um, anything that you have coming up that you're really looking forward to? Yeah, so many things. I'm really excited. I get to oversee all of our uh, our employee resource groups, which we call sneak resource groups. Um, and at the end of last year, we added um, two. Well, we transformed one and then we added an additional one. So we added a group called Accessibility at Sneak. We have six resource groups now. Um, and then we kind of rebranded our Be at Sneak SRG to be Mosaic to really um, better understand all of the cross-cultural differences that we have as an organization and to really build like a discourse around um, the differences and the celebrations and the heritage months and really create a space for people. Right now we're doing a really fun um, recipe book um, where folks can actually put in their favorite recipe from, you know, all around the world. And we hope to like put together a, a PDF version of all of that. We have a ton of foodies at Sneak. So it is definitely something that we're interested in. And I think people are always looking for brand new recipes to try out and things that really like speak to who you are or how you grew up or your heritage. And I think you can learn a lot from people in that way. So we do small things like that. And then we have large scale events. Um, we have our sneak week of impact coming up in October, um, which is really meant to ensure that we get engagement across all sneakers globally to do, you know, one impact event, whether that's virtual volunteering, whether that's in-person volunteering to see how many hours we can do um, impact around for an entire week. So there's so many great initiatives that we do across the globe and we try to bring along as many sneakers as possible. And that's something I'm really looking forward to for, for October. I, it's like I'm nodding my head and smiling because it's so that's so wonderful that you guys are thinking that outside the box. Um, and I can't imagine how many people feel so appreciated that they, for one thing, I can't cook to save my life. So I'm certainly <laughs> someone that would appreciate any kind of directions um, that I can follow that just involves boiling water. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but why? And this is such a broad question, but why is this so important to you? Yeah, I think, honestly, I've seen the impact of what resource groups can do on organizations. Um, and it is something, and while Sneak Impact is its own like large-scale program, it does feel like a resource for people that want to give back. So I'm so lucky that I get to to do them both and to really like show not just internal sneakers what it means to feel like we're creating an impact and building inclusion here, but also in the communities in which, you know, we try to serve and, and do better and show, you know, do those those good initiatives. Um, and so I think for me, it's really about 
every day making like small, meaningful change. Um, I think everyone, and especially now it feels like everything needs to be big and grand. And, you know, like I look on LinkedIn and it's like, everyone's doing this or this thing or has a new, you know, job or new MBA or new whatever. And I think sometimes it's in the little moments that mean so much to people, like getting a Slack message being like, that event for AAPI Heritage Month was just exactly what I needed today. Like those things matter. And I don't think everybody always takes a second to say like, okay, in the grand scheme of the company or the organization or wherever you are, like everyone might not see that, but for the person that it impacted, that made a huge mark on their day. Maybe they, you know, became three times more productive or they finished the project they'd been sitting on or, you know, it, it helped them prioritize something that meant something to them. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what we're doing, right? Is we're trying to create that impact for people. We're trying to create that engagement. And ultimately that retention gets people to stay here and say, I want to grow my career here because I get these experiences and these opportunities to, to do things that actually matter to me outside of the four walls of, of just my nine to five. It really is the little things in life in general. And you don't, to your point, like you don't know whose day you're completely changing or quite frankly, like their, their year or, or their career path by making them feel seen, making them feel like they belong and that they have a seat at the table. And I think that is a huge problem in our industry is making people feel like they belong here from all walks of life. So I think, you know, the work that you're doing is just so important and impactful. So I just want to acknowledge that first and foremost. So you have a daughter, correct? I do. Yeah, Olivia. So what would you hope like for a world to like, say Olivia wanted to join the world of tech, what would you want that world to look like for her? It's one of the reasons I do what I do. Um, And motherhood has taught me so much about not setting the small stuff and the best laid plans as we were talking about just before this podcast started. Um, But honestly, it's really about um, leaving a world better than when I found where I found it. And for me, I want Olivia and it's some of the things that, you know, mom guilt and all of these things that kind of conjure up when you're working super hard, you got to work later, you have to do this event or you have to go to this thing. And even when I leave to go to St. Lawrence, I'm like, I'm doing this because I want Olivia to look back on it and say like, wow, my mom actually like had an opportunity to go make a difference somewhere and she took it. Right. And like, she, she wanted to have that impact on the world. And like, I want to be like, my mom, yeah. right. Like I want her to be able to like, be like, my mom did something really cool. And like, I think that is um, what I, what my hope is, is that like, I not only inspire her, but I inspire, inspire other women that maybe look like me or have the same background as I do um, and really want to help like forge their way. And like, it, it can be scary and it can feel lonely and it can be difficult, but I think the, the benefits far vastly outweigh the risks. And so for me, it's all about like remembering that I hope one day Olivia looks back and is like, that's so cool that my mom took the time to do that. And the the craziness of of all the things that could happen in the day and, and take out additional time to, to try and make a difference. I mean, I'm sure she's going to be incredibly proud of you. <laughs> um, so what in closing, what can folks like me do to help? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there are I always love to start with people. (laughs) And I think sometimes the biggest problems can be solved with simple conversations. So conversations like this are so important, right? Like being able to touch and and really reach a group of people that maybe I've never had the opportunity to connect with. Um, I think for them to hear my story, it is going to, it's hopefully going to leave an impact on them, right? And have them start to think about things a little differently or think, 
you know, how have I, you know, opened doors for marginalized communities at my company or how, what does my network look like? Do they all look like me? Do I, do I know people in the diversity inclusion space? Are there thought leaders that I can follow? And so that information is out there, but I think sometimes we create these echo chambers for, you know, the people that care. Every time I jump on LinkedIn, I know the people that care about this work, but it's people that don't make it a priority or aren't the loudest in the room that maybe we don't see all the time. And so I think there's such an opportunity for people that don't know where to start to really start to expand their network and just say like, Hey, you know, I saw you on LinkedIn or I saw you at a networking event. I'd love to chat with you. And I think there's a difference between chatting with people and picking their brain. And I think like the picking their brain piece can be a little bit of a slippery slope um, because I can't possibly sit with 20 people and have them pick my brain on what to do about diversity and inclusion, like free advice is not always the best, is not always the best thing to do. But I do think intentionality in that to say, hey, I want to start a program XYZ, right? Or hey, I want to influence diversity and inclusion in my space. Here's how we've been doing it in the past. Or here's where I feel like we're stuck. Like, would you have a couple of minutes? Um, and really diversifying your network in that way, I think can really be a really great place to start. Yeah. And I think it's like for me, you know, when I first started to, you know, venture into this world. And a lot of it, quite frankly, was through the work that you're doing um, on LinkedIn and really opened up my mind. I think you also have to approach it with a great sense of humility. Like I grew up in, you know, rural New Hampshire, right? Like, and then went to college in rural upstate New York. Um, and so when I got into this industry, oh, I, I think, I don't want to say blinders, but I mean, it was just not something that I was actively thinking about. And so reaching out and to folks like you and having these conversations, um, it's, I mean, I can't express the importance of it enough, right? If we're ever going to, you know, tackle this problem together, um, it's going to take all of us having these conversations and raising your hand and coming at it with, like I said, a sense of humility, because um, I certainly do not know all the answers at all. But I do know now who to reach out to. <laughs> I love it. One of my biggest things too, is like, I think with a lot of diversity, inclusion and social impact professionals, there's this illusion that they know everything. And that is just something that needs to be demystified. And it's like, I learn something new every day in this work. And I think if you're not learning something new every day in your role, like maybe that's a problem, right? Like yes. you should just be opening your eyes a little bit more. And I think there's so much information out there, but being able to create these connections and being able to say, you know, I have an opportunity to learn something about something that maybe I don't see how it interacts with my job today, but it could be beneficial at some point in time. I think it's just a really great place to, to start. Yeah. So finally, you know, for people that are listening and are kind of interested in getting into your field and career path specifically, what would you, what advice would you impart to them? I would say like start small. It can feel really overwhelming. Like you need to get, like I was saying before, you need to get a degree or certification. And like, there's so much free information out there on the internet. Like HBR has some like really great articles on diversity and inclusion, or there's, you know, courses on LinkedIn, or, you know, there are thought leaders or books. And so I say like, find what you're passionate about, but also like, there's so much information. Like you could go into like specifically if you're really like analytical heavy, you could go into diversity and inclusion specifically in people analytics, right? Like there's so many niches in this like overall HR space that I think um, really leaning into what your niche is is going to be important to find like what you're truly passionate about. Because there's so much information, it can feel really overwhelming. So I'd start there and then I'd start building your network and just finding people that have 
different perspectives from you and that you can go to events. There's so many virtual events now. Um, just listen to something that, you know, as you're working or as you're taking a walk, I think there's just ways to continue to broaden your knowledge that will hopefully help you find what you want to do and then leverage that in your interview, right? Say like, here's how I spend my free time. Like you might not have the experience right off the bat. I sure didn't, but HubSpot took a chance on me and that helped me propel my career into what I do today. And I think you have to take that bet on yourself, but you also have to put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such great advice. So speaking of uh, expanding networks, can people reach out to you on LinkedIn? Where do they find out more information about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Find me uh, on LinkedIn for sure at Ashley Ladd. Um, And I am on Instagram. I'm on social. So like, feel free to just follow and, you know, if you need some time, we'll connect. Um, But I'm always looking to expand my network and obviously find more cyber professionals that are passionate about DEI and the spaces that we're in and how we can impact this space in particular. So definitely reach out. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn and always happy to, to chat. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. I learned a lot today and really look forward to continuing to follow your work and continuing to learn from you because I think the, you know, the information that you're provided is extremely valuable and, and we need more of it in the world, quite frankly. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Awesome. I'm so glad St. Lawrence brought us together. Yeah. <laughs> the power of a Laurentian connection is, will never be lost on me. No, <laughs> it's incredible. Together. It's an incredible network. So very thankful for it every single day. So thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much, Sigurd. I'll talk to you soon.